What's your favorite soup on a cold winter's day? I just came from Panera. Okay. And I had chicken noodle soup. That's a pretty standard soup. But I also love at home, I'll make tomato soup yeah. with a grilled cheese sandwich. Oh. It's just, it's not just the taste, but yeah. it's also a reminiscent of grade school. Uh, for me, yeah, that's reminiscent of childhood. That was actually something my dad, even like up to, not like the day he died, but like the, the you know, re- up until recently, that would be kind of like something he would do. He'd just call up and say, hey, want to bring over some tomato soup? You make some grilled cheese? Sounds good. And we do that. Hello now, out there. Hello. Hey, oh, I'm sorry. You wanted you to wanted say to, something more about tomato soup. You wanted to start the show. I wanted to start the show. Hello, everybody. Okay, we have now started. Okay, finish what you're saying. <laughs> do you dip your grilled cheese in the tomato soup? No. No. I, I know people do that. Oh, yeah. Okay. You're not one of those. No. There's there's two kinds of people in the world. Those that dip? The, the dippers and the skippers. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. Yes, it just came to me. Okay, uh, hello everybody. It's good to have you with us as we talk about cold winter days. But right now it's a balmy twelve degrees outside. Actually, I just checked my watch. It is twenty three degrees. It's really going up fast. It is. Hopefully, it'll get some of that extra ice off the roads. It's good to be with you on another episode of the twenty three podcast. This weekend was fun and snowy. Well, let me tell you, Saturday, the worst winter snow day we've had for a couple of years. Yeah. Did not stop people. I had first morning appointment, an engaged couple that's getting married in a few weeks. Sure. They were here. I had the second morning appointment, and an engaged couple that's getting married months from now. They were here. Yeah. I had a wedding at 2 o'clock. The whole wedding party was here and a lot of guests. You know, I was here too. You, oh, we had a wedding. Yeah. We ate the parish. The, the parish had a wedding at <laughs> 2 o'clock. Uh I wasn't exclusive when I said I. I is very possessive. Uh, Are we having a fight on the podcast right Uh, now? Michael, get over it. Okay. (laughs) And then there was a baptism at the five o'clock mass. There was. And we had it. The God, I didn't say I had it. (laughs) I know you did. (laughs) The the godparents could not make it. They were in Chicago. Yeah. Uh, So the grandparents filled in. So it was proxy. But the baby made it uh, along with the parent. A little Oliver. Oliver. And he was cute. And I warmed up the water. For for the baptism, uh-huh. people. Oh, we warmed up the water. No, that, that actually you did. <laughs> you, you warmed up the water, <laughs> and and we baptized this baby. Uh, you it, performed the baptism. It was really great. Yeah. So not many people got to church, but we did celebrate all day long. It was an incredible day. It was a cool day, and uh, Sunday was equally wonderful. There was something just so cool about the sun coming up. I captured that picture Sunday morning. It was like, okay, even in the midst of. You know, for what people can, for some people, be very scary in the middle of a winter storm with the wind and the ice and the snow. On Sunday morning, the sky was clear and the sun came up. It was just beautiful. I have to share with you yesterday, I haven't shared this with you yet, on my drive into work. So on Monday, um, I was driving over the bridge and the river in the mornings, because it's been so cold at night, is starting to freeze over a bit. Oh, yes. And I looked... Even off. though it's moving pretty fast, isn't it? Uh, not much. I mean, it's getting frozen, so it's just starting to get a little lethargic in its movement. But I looked over the side of the bridge, and this blue sky contrasting with all the white ice and the snow below, and then these birds just flying through the air. It was just a majestic scene. That's like one of those scenes you see late at night on TV yeah. when they're trying to get everybody calmed down and ready to go to bed. Yes. I have to tell you this morning, 
I got a text from a parishioner mm-hmm. who said he decided to show up for late, uh, show up for work a little bit late, mm-hmm. and drive by our church because he saw the sunrise. So as he was coming towards church, he, on one of the country roads, he came upon a woman that was off the road in a snowdrift. Oh, wow! So he ended up helping her get out, and then realized it was too late to get the the sunrise with it, with the church in the front. Oh, he so, was going to try to get a picture. Yes, yeah. So he, the sunrise was beautiful this yeah, morning. So he, so he so he just took a picture of the field, uh-huh. and he sent that to me. He it was a series of texts. He sent it to me and he said, no church in sight. And I wrote back and I said, remember churches, us people, and you stopped to help this woman. And he said, Oh yeah, churches, people, you've only said that 546 times, <laughs> but he'll get it the 547th time. Yeah. All right. So we are back in ordinary time. As we said last week, uh, we spent a little time in Cana last weekend for a wedding. Yes, and it was just perfect. I had wed- uh, I had a wedding to <laughs> see, go to. See, it's, a bad, <laughs> it's a bad habit. It's okay. This week we're go- going to finally get into Luke. And do you want to say a little plug again for your looking at Luke coming? Looking up? at Luke on February second. That's a Saturday, which is not this Saturday, but a week from now, mm-hmm. ten days from now. Uh, looking at Luke is an hour and a half from nine to 10.30 with coffee Yes, Saturday morning, and it's just a chance to do a quick overview of Luke, what's in Luke's gospel, why it is distinctive from the others, mm-hmm. and what are three to five different principles or common threads that you can follow as we read from Luke for the next nine, 10 months. Now, we will be reading from Luke quite a bit. There's a few exceptions during both Lent yeah. and Easter season, but we will have a lot of Luke. Nine or 10 months is long. I mean, this is long. we're basically having a baby named Luke over the next nine months. So you need to get to know him well. Um, so that, that'll be cool. I hope a lot of you guys come for that uh, on Saturday, February 2nd. So in the Gospel of Luke this weekend, chapter one. Well, sort of. Well, that's what it says in front of me. It it's starts comma, with a ca- comma. We have four verses from chapter one, the very, very, very beginning of Luke. Then it jumps to chapter four. Yes. Verses 14 to 21. This reminds me of, it doesn't give the option, but remember the choose your own adventure books. Yes. If you go in the closet, turn to page 82. If you decide not to go and see what's in the closet, turn to page four. I always did both because I wanted to know which I wanted to know both outcomes. (laughs) So this time we're jumping to chapter four. Well, what's happening is we we read most of chapter one. We read most of chapter two between Advent and Christmas season. Mm -hmm. However, the very first four verses are simply introductory. And Luke is basically saying many other people have written an account of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I've done my own research. And then he, he uses the the names name of the man called Theophilus. So he says, I too after have decided after investigating everything accurately anew to write it down in an orderly sequence for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may realize the certainty of the teachings you have received. Now, people don't know who Theophilus was. It's a capital T. Mm-hmm. Some people, when he says most excellent Theophilus, some people surmise he was a bishop. Mm-hmm. We still call bishops your excellency. Okay. 
Others think it was just a construct, that there really was no such person. Mm -hmm. The word Theophilus means a lover of God, that it was a disciple. But what's really fascinating about this, this is the beginning of Luke's gospel. Mm -hmm. Acts of the Apostles starts in the same way. Acts of the Apostles, which is the first sequel, also written by Luke. Yeah. Uh, Luke starts off by saying, in my first book, Theophilus, so it's the part two. I wrote all about what Jesus did, and now I'm going to write about what happens from his disciples, his I was followers. Fli- I was flipping through Acts of the Apostles today, because uh, we're, we're looking at, as we're, we're putting together our confirmation boot camps this summer, perhaps basing it on Acts of the Apostles and oh, that is cool. the role of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was really blown away just just by skimming it today, and I'm going to spend some time with it over the next couple of months. All the things in there that I've never read before. Oh, I, it's, there's so many pieces to to the to the story, and I think that's what will be kind of neat about your looking at Luke section too. Is that we know the major themes and stories from the Gospel of Luke, but there's going to be lots of little things uh, that we maybe don't hear regularly at Mass, that, or or we don't see the forest for the trees. It's like we stop. When we go Sunday to Sunday, we stop at a particular tree and sure. we examine the tree. But when you look at the entire gospel, yeah. or in your case, the Acts of the Apostles, yeah. you see the entire forest. Mm-hmm. And maybe you even see the path that works its way through the forest. Sure. There is one, not to get too far off topic, not that I would ever do that. Uh, there is, hey, uh, folks, I'm already reeling him back in. But go ahead. I'll give you a little bit here. There is just one, one section about um, Paul as he was being held a prisoner that he was on this ship and... Uh, he was telling them not to go a certain direction, and they didn't listen to him, of course, and so they got shipwrecked. It was almost like this action-adventure action novel unfolding before my eyes. Like, there's really cool literature. This is really cool. Yeah. But and back to Luke. I'm sorry. Back, back to Luke. You know, now I want to talk about Acts of the Apostles, we'll but save we'll that save for that for Easter, Easter season. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so anyway, so we have the first four verses, and then we jump to chapter 4. So remember, chapter 1 and chapter 2 are basically the infancy story in Luke's gospel. Mm-hmm. Chapter 3 is the whole thing where, where Luke is in the desert. He's tempted. Uh, Jesus is tempted. Which we'll hear probably during Lent. During Lent. Uh, the, are you ready for this? The first Sunday, first Sunday of Sunday Lent. Of Lent. Mm-hmm. And I, was, I was ready for it. You were ready for it. <laughs> and then we get to chapter 4. So in, in many ways... This gospel this week is the inaugural address. Jesus enters the synagogue. Mm -hmm. And this is such a beautiful passage that people know well. And he reads from the prophet Isaiah. So I'm going to read the first part, and you get to read the quote from Isaiah. I get the good part. You get Isaiah. He's Old Testament. I'll I'll be New Testament. (laughs) Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news of him spread throughout the whole region. He taught in their synagogues and was praised by all. He came to Nazareth where he had grown up and went according to his custom into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. He stood up to read and was handed a scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He unrolled the scroll and found the passage where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Rolling up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue looked intently at him. He said to them, Today the scripture passage is fulfilled 
in your hearing. And then he dropped the mic. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the ultimate that, mic drop moment. That's the mic, yeah. That, that would be putting the first century into the 21st century. Yeah, totally. I mean, what do you think they were thinking after he said that? Like, oh, okay. Well, actually, they were probably dropping their jaws. Now, is this the, is, I'm not sure because I haven't looked ahead. Is this, is Luke the gospel where after he says this, then they get upset and they drive him out and they throw him off the cliff? Is that coming up? Well, you want to wait till next week? Well, I just want the context because if that is what happened. It conti- you are totally correct because next week we get this, it goes on. And they drove him out of their town and yes. led him to the brow, so brow of the hill. They so, didn't say, so people, you have to wait till next week for the response. They didn't but, say, okay, they were upset by this. In fact, because it was, it was too, too good to believe on one hand and yeah. too hard to believe on the other hand. Right. It, there's a lot in this passage that people don't get. The first one, uh, the part, I'm quoting the Isaiah part. The Isaiah part says... I'm sorry, I've, I've got I turned the wrong page. The, the, pet, the part from Hosea, Isaiah says... The Spirit I, of the Lord is upon me? Yeah, there I am. I'm at the right me. page now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring glad tidings. Okay, the anointing. Mm-hmm. The word anointed, the anointed one, mm-hmm. in Greek, that's the Christ. Mm-hmm. The word anointed in Hebrew is Messiah. So when he says, I'm the anointed one, the spirit has anointed me. He's basically saying, I am the Messiah that you've been waiting for. I am the Christ. I'm the fulfillment. I am anointed by the Holy Spirit. Mm. That is sort of like walking into the room and saying, you know, you've been waiting for the Savior to come. Uh, C'est moi. Mm-hmm. It is I. Well, even maybe even the, you know, yeah, I, I could see how if they've been waiting for this person and waiting and then it finally happens. It, you know, we always ask if if we were back, if if we either flip flopped and we were back in that time or this was happening now, would we believe it too? Would we believe Jesus is yeah. who he says he is? Now, they had already pretty much accepted him as a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, because he had been going to the synagogues. This morning, I spent some time at the Bible study uh, explaining what a synagogue synagogue was and if you drive around any city you might find some some jewish centers or congregations Mm -hmm. some refer to themselves simply as congregation some will call themselves temples Mm -hmm. some will call themselves synagogues i've been to synagogue once okay a synagogue is basically at least in jesus time kind of the the neighborhood gathering place. Mm-hmm. I won't even call it a church, but think of it as a church building. Mm-hmm. Not often very big. Some were pretty poor. Some were a little bit better off. Okay. There was only one temple, and the temple was in Jerusalem. Got it. Now, in the history of the Hebrew people, there were two temples sequentially, but only one at a time. Okay. There was the Temple of Solomon, which got destroyed in the Babylonian captivity, mm-hmm. and that's reflected in the first reading. Uh, the prophet Nehemiah, who is coming back and he's talking to the people. And uh, he's basically saying, we're back uh, from captivity. Mm-hmm. We have a renewal. Our temple has been destroyed. And the people were, they didn't know what to do. And so what did he say? Let's read the scriptures. And it's really amazing to me because that's exactly what they did. Everybody, it says they gathered together. 
Ezra, the priest, brought the law before the assembly, which consisted of men, women, and those children old enough to understand. And standing at one end of the open place that was before the water gate, he read out of the book from daybreak till midday in the presence of the men, the women, and those children old enough to understand. And we I, thought mass was long. I, I, but I love that phrase. You know, he, he read the scriptures mm-hmm. for the men, the women, and the children old enough to understand. But from and day, the, daybreak they, to midday. I know. But the kids that were too young to understand, mm-hmm. they went out for their own children's liturgy of the word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> word of God speak. Yeah. Uh, but but the thing is, because they didn't have the temple anymore, what else did they have to fall back on with the scripture? This Eventually, they did have a second temple that was built, and that was the temple that was around at Jesus' time. And that was destroyed around 68, 66 to 70 A.D., after the time of Jesus. You know, it's it's almost reminiscent of what we were saying at the beginning of the podcast today, that church is people. That even though they didn't have the physical structure, which to them was a very holy site. It was the center of their, not only their faith, but even their existence as a people. They were still gathering together in community, though, and, and reading scripture. And that was that was the, the gem of what they learned during the Babylonian captivity. Mm-hmm. They were not in Jerusalem because literally all the priests, all the leaders had been dispersed to foreign countries. Yeah. But they managed to keep the faith alive. They gathered up all the the scrolls that they had, and they put them together in in a sense. They created the Bible at that time. They put the Pentateuch together. They didn't write most of it. I mean, most of it was written by that time, but they pulled it all together. Sure. Now, back to the gospel for a moment, if that's okay. Sure. I know that this passage from Isaiah is generally used a lot for ordination masses. It's used very often at ordination masses. So, as And a, sometimes they'll read both, uh, the Isaiah, the actual Isaiah passage that is quoted in Luke's gospel. Mm-hmm. So as a, as a priest, as an ordained priest, what, um, what does this passage mean to you? And the second part of the question is, how does this tie into all of our baptismal role as priests that what we are called to do if if people have been attending weekday mass or even if they haven't been attending mass every day but reading the readings of the day mm-hmm. you'll know that the first reading for the last couple of weeks has been from the letter to the hebrews and it talks about the high priest is not it doesn't pick himself but is chosen by god and so the way it always affects me is the same as this passage from uh, Luke, where he quotes Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. It's not like, hey, folks, look what I've done. It's quite the opposite. It's a very, very humbling passage that says, the spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And then it goes on to a series of things to bring glad tidings to the poor, liberty to captives, sight to the blind, help the oppressed go free, and proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. Now you can break out each one of those. So, you know, when you talk about sight to the blind, it's not just physical sight, although it might include that. When you talk about glad tidings to the poor, it's like the people that are hopeless. And by the way, there are a lot of poor people, Mm -hmm. a lot more than we want to admit right in our presence. Uh, Liberty to captives. How many people are held captive Sometimes by their own addiction. Sure. Sometimes by their own prejudices. How many people uh, have lives that are far from free? They are in refugee camps around the world. Hmm. How many people are 
unable to do what they want to do because of lack of education or discrimination. I mean, there's many people who are captive of circumstances. Sure. Uh, to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord, it's like, I think of Jesus coming and saying, the Lord is upon me to make a change. It's going to be a new era. That is what the kingdom of God is all about. A new era. This is the good news. It's a good news of victory over the forces of evil, but it's also establishing a new way in which to live in that victory. And, and as, as baptized Christians, we are all called to participate in this. And we are all anointed at baptism and in the baptism that you and I and the congregation did on Saturday, even, <laughs> even though I was the one pouring the water. Yes, you were. I also anointed uh, Oliver uh -huh. with the chrism. Mm. And the anointing at the, at the baptism is an incredibly important symbol. It's right next to the water itself. And it says, as Christ was anointed priest, prophet, and king. Mm -hmm. Think about that priest, you know, calling to holiness, prophet, speaking on behalf of what is right, king, being a leader. Mm. As Christ was known, priest, prophet, and king to every baptized person is called. And so I put the chrism on pretty lavishly right on the crown of their head. And since I baptized both of your girls, you did. do you recall smelling the chrism the rest of the day? Oh, chrism has just the most wonder. I could actually, I smelled, I smelled chrism on you Saturday after we had the baptism. Uh, just walking past you, I could smell it on your hand. Yeah, well, I, I, I put some on my hands every day just to smell good. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe a great meditation uh, between now and Sunday is for all of us to take this passage of Isaiah that you'll find in the gospel reading and figure out maybe how God is calling you to do maybe one of these things in the world that you live in this week. We are the anointed. We are. Have a great week, everybody. We'll see you this weekend. God bless. <laughs>